0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director, Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. Welcome to our candidate cafe special. I'm Adam Sexton. For the past four months, News 9 has been hosting these special gatherings at the airport diner in Manchester
1: the women's side. All right. All right. There you go. All right.
2: Hey, everyone. Wow. What a big group.
0: Unlike some of our other coverage, this is a chance for people to get to know the candidates on a much more personal level and hear about their life stories to get a better idea of the type of leader they are and would be as president. That includes the youngest candidate in the field, Democrat Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana. Our voters at the diner wanted to know more about the origins of his often mispronounced last name, as well as his military service in Afghanistan, and his decision to come out while he was mayor and live as an openly gay man. What's in a name? A lot of voters call this presidential candidate Mayor Pete, but others are curious about the nine letters and three syllables that follow.
1: So your name, Buttigieg. I don't know if you've done like Ancestry.com or anything, uh, I did that, and uh, you know, it's really fascinating, the
3: stuff you find out, I'd, so yeah. I'm curious about your mm-hmm. your genealogy and your history. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: So, my, my father immigrated to the U.S. From, from Malta, which is one of the smallest countries in the world. You, know, you draw a line from Sicily to, to Tunisia, and it'll go through Malta, um, and in fact, the whole country has about the same population as St. Joe County, where I live in Indiana, and The funny thing is, over there, it's like Smith. It's one of the most common names. (laughs) So much so that there was a a president, I wouldn't be the first president Buttigieg in the world. There was a president Buttigieg in Malta who was next door neighbors with my family Buttigiegs, and they weren't even related. (laughs) Um, So uh, the the, the etymology of the name, uh, Buttigieg means chicken. Mm -hmm. So it probably means like owner of poultry or lord of the poultry or something like that. (laughs) Um, but uh, if you go over there and you yell, you go into a crowded diner and say, "Hey, Buddha Judge, Everybody, a bunch oh, of people yeah. would
5: turn around. <laughs> have you visited Malta?
4: I have, yeah, not not in uh, a little while, but we used to go every couple of years, uh-huh. and uh, it's a beautiful. If if you ever get a chance, I don't know if anybody here has had a chance to to go. It is beautiful. You actually see it a lot on on TV because the it, it can be made to look like Italy or Greece or the Middle East. So uh, a lot of Game of Thrones was filmed in Malta. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they sub it in as Jerusalem um, uh, or the Middle East. In fact, I wander. you know that, you remember that, oh, what was it called? World War Z, that yes. uh, zombie yes. movie? I literally wandered onto the set of World War <laughs> Z. All the scenes in Jerusalem. Yeah, so I'm looking around, I go into this neighborhood, um, suddenly all the street signs change to Hebrew. And there, there were these zombies walking around. But there were, you know, it was like a zombie smoking a cigarette. You know, they were extras waiting for their turn. <laughs>
0: Buttigieg is the only child of two academics. He says his Maltese immigrant father, a professor at the University of Notre Dame, taught him the importance of watching every penny and classic rock.
4: When my dad used to take me to school, he, we had this a Chevy Cavalier. I'm pretty sure he literally went to the to. He wanted a new car, but he went to the dealer and literally said, "Give me your cheapest car."
6: <laughs>
4: and so uh, he got this this two door Cavalier, but it had a tape deck, which, by the standards of my dad in the 90s, was pretty extravagant. Um, <laughs> And he had exactly one tape, which was um, Cosmos Factory, Creedence Clearwater, which is actually great. I mean, it's such a great piece of music that I didn't mind that for probably about three years, it was all we ever listened to
0: when we were in the car. As the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Buttigieg came out as openly gay in 2015. At the cafe table, he described the process through the lens of his faith journey.
4: When it came to coming out, I knew I wanted to tell uh, uh our priest sooner rather than later, but i wasn 't sure how to approach it um, but uh, I didn't like anything else you know asked him over for a cup of coffee and took a deep breath I was like hey, something I'd like to talk to you about mm-hmm. and found our church, even as the bigger Anglican church has been going through a process on on acceptance um, found that he was incredibly supportive and it meant a lot to me that we were able to have our, our wedding in the church uh, mm-hmm. uh, last year. And was really he gave a a wonderful sermon that that reminded me of the um, you know your your relationship with somebody you love and your relationship with God are are I believe uh, they talk to each other in a way and um, it was a, a really important moment in my life to be able to take those two things that I had been led to believe might always be at war with each other and instead um, see how they could reinforce each other sorry it's still kind of emotional just to think about it
0: Buttigieg also serves in the U.S. Navy Reserve and did a tour in Afghanistan as an intelligence officer
4: our mission had to do with blocking uh, the finance of, of drug money going into the uh... Um, financing of terrorism
7: what was your interaction with the people in afghanistan
4: well uh, a lot of it was just through a windshield because we'd be on these movements and and of course you're a target you know sitting there in the vehicle and and but the the great thing about it was that that because my job i mean a lot of times i called it military uber i mean we were just you know my job is just a driver but you're in the life of this city and it's a city you know it's a noisy smelly lively city And so you would see people, I think something about the way we imagine war when you just see it on TV is that in a place where there's a war, all anybody's ever doing is fighting a war. Well, this is a city where, you know, there's a guy with a watermelon over his shoulder coming back from the market and kids crossing the street going to school and and business people, it's a city. Uh, There's also a war going on. And so you would see just the ordinary rhythms of life.
0: One of those rhythms that drew the mayor in was the local bazaar, where he loved to haggle for the best possible deal on handwoven carpets. There's
4: nothing like bargaining. Talk about political training.
6: <laughs>
4: bargaining for a carpet with uh, an Afghan carpet salesman. And, um, uh, you know, you'd haggle and, and you'd BS with them a little bit. and. Uh, uh, and they just show you carpet after carpet. You'd feel guilty because they'd unfold the carpets, and there'd be this kid who would come pull one off and unfold it. And you don't like it, they'd fold up another one, and, and you've got to get a number out of them, right?
6: <laughs> uh,
4: so you, you'd go through this ritual for half an hour, and finally you admit that you kind of like this carpet, um, but you try to get a number out of them, like, uh, you know, but really, like, how much? And you would see them look at the carpet for a long time. But, of course, he wasn't thinking about the carpet, he was thinking about you. He's he's figuring out the highest number he can say (laughs) that won't cause you to immediately leave. And, uh, and so he'll say a number, you know, 800. And you'll be like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I, I can't, I'm just a lieutenant. Like, I don't have that kind of money. Um, I mean, honestly, I hate to even, this is probably insulting, but I, I, I couldn't really do more than $150 for this carpet. And he'll say, oh, that's more than I paid for it. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but we just can't. And you go through this whole kind of ritual, and it's, it's like you're both in on the joke as you're, as you're going through this bargaining process.
0: Buttigieg says one of the biggest lessons of his time in Afghanistan is that making human connections is key.
4: And at every step you're, you're kind of informally building relationships to try to get things done. Um, I mean, even to get a vehicle. So a big part of my job was moving people around Kabul, or sometimes we'd have to do a road trip between Kabul and Bagram, which is about a, about an hour drive on the open highway. And I, even though that was an important part of my job, I, I never had my own vehicle that I, I had access to. So I always had to kind of bargain for one.
0: Interestingly enough, he's now involved in a negotiation of another kind, trying to win over first-in-the-nation voters.
8: What's your favorite place that you visited
6: in New
0: Hampshire? Oh, um... <laughs> the airport
8: <laughs>
0: From an Indiana mayor to a Colorado senator, Michael Bennett is still trying to become a household name, but the former superintendent of one of the nation's largest school districts, Denver, Colorado, also has an intriguing life story, including how some of his family came to America. Michael Bennett, senator from Colorado, is naturally a Denver Broncos fan. But he does have something of a college connection to the New England
7: Patriots. Of your alumni brethren... Which is your favorite NFL coach?
9: Well, I'd have to say Bill Belichick. I just wanted
7: to hear you say his name. I just wanted to hear you say that, that his that name.
9: That's what I'd have to say. As a yeah. Denver fan, I wanted to. We're say proud his name? Of, we're proud of him. I mean, you know, Wesleyan has, you know, not always been known as a football powerhouse. He had two at one point. Uh, but uh, yeah. but that's but but somehow he managed to learn something about the game of football while he was there. Bennett got his first taste of politics
0: early in life as a Senate page. What is your most
9: memorable To me, what I remember most, I was a kid, I was really young, I was in high school, I guess the pages are in high school, and that summer, uh, Senator Stevens was on the floor all summer long because he had some Alaska lands bill of some kind. It felt to me like he literally never left the floor. <laughs> and in retrospect, you know, it's such an interesting um, thing. I haven't thought about it since you just raised it. Um, but that was a time when the Senate still worked. It still functioned like the Senate. He says his love of country was shaped
0: by his mother and grandparents who survived the Holocaust.
6: I'm Jewish myself and I wonder what, if any, traditions from your mom's background um, have come through into your own family and how her history impacts
5: your life.
9: So she, my mom's uh, name is Suzanne Kledgman and um, she and her parents, John and Helena Kledgman, Jakob and Helena Kledgman, um, were living in Warsaw before the war. That's where they were from. And um, he had, my grandfather had a big family. And when they got warned that the Nazis were coming, and they were art dealers. In, they had a small art gallery in Warsaw. And they, they were warned that the Nazis were coming and they were... Um, uh, and my grandfather wouldn't leave, because he didn't want to leave the family behind. And in the end, uh, they were all killed, except for my mom, her, her parents, and an aunt. And my mom was sent out to the country and lived with a nurse in the suburbs of Warsaw. And my, my um, grandmother was taken in by a, a group of nuns. And actually, until I was in, in my 20s, to, to, to answer your question directly, um, the history, the family history was that she was Catholic, you know, because that happened to so many people. Um, and then my grandfather hid in, in, underneath a, uh, the state, uh, in a candy factory in Warsaw. Anyway, miraculously, they survived, and at the end of the war, they, they came back together they rebuilt their shattered lives in this country and what I would say about them is that you could tell this deeply terrible thing had happened to them and they had had a uh, you know the worst of things that could humans could do to other humans had happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was there. But what also was there was just the sheer joy of being Americans. And they started their gallery again in, in New York. They were successful. They were able to pay for my education and my, my my siblings' education in one generation because of what they were able to do when they came here. And, um, and I guess that's the the part of their legacy that is so important to me on a daily basis is the idea that you know they 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 left it behind you know they left the religious stuff behind because of what had happened to them they left the experiences behind and all they wanted to do was be Americans. My grandmother would tell a story about. Uh, here, walking into this place called Schraff's, which was a diner in New York, or you know a cafeteria in New York, you guys will remember, it, and seeing Harry Truman sitting at the counter there after he'd been president, just by himself, eating. And she couldn't believe, like in Amer- you'd never seen something like that <laughs> in Europe. And here in America, you would see Harry Truman sitting there.
0: Early experience working as an attorney on major financial deals helped Bennett navigate difficult times
9: as superintendent of schools in Denver. You know, I went through an incredibly painful process in our community. It was very difficult to close schools that hadn't been closed by the district. And, you know, those are really tough meetings because people are saying, you're telling me because of what the district failed to do that my kid who lives across the street from there can't go to the third grade there That's tough and the pension stuff was incredibly tough too although we got that done and merged it into the state pension i wouldn't have known how to do any of that stuff if i hadn't had the business experience that i had I wouldn't have had a clue i would have left the district you know the way i found the district which is how the previous superintendents at all handled it because nobody had the skills or The knowledge to be able to do it and 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 sometimes people would say well you know you don't have any k-12 experience and and you know you're gonna run this like a business and I would always say this isn't a business
0: a married father of three daughters Bennett says a favorite family pastime is to poke fun at senator
9: dad some of you may remember that moment when I had a little bit of a conversation with Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate I don't know if you saw that but um, Ted accused me of yelling at him, and then I said I wasn't yelling, but that I was yelling. And I (laughs) and my daughter um, Caroline, who was a freshman in college at the time, this thing came on the TV, and she and her she and her uh, roommates were watching it, and she said, "I started. I was starting into him." And she said, "Uh oh, I've heard that voice (laughs) before." And they have this, you know, when they see these headlines that describe mild-mannered Michael Bennett. That those are the ones where they circle it and send it to each other. She was, when I, when I went back there to talk to him about whether I should run for president, she was the one that was most enthusiastic yeah. about it, the 15-year-old, and I—it shocked me a little bit because she's the one that, like, I could easily imagine that she's caucusing for Cory Booker somewhere <laughs> right now. This long primary season officially started on
0: Inauguration Day, 2016, when President Trump filed his re-election paperwork. But his first Democratic challenger launched his own campaign just a few months later. After the break, how John DeLay decision to leave the career path chosen by his parents led to a presidential bid. Plus, why Andrew Yang says his experience at New Hampshire's Phillips Exeter Academy was not entirely positive. You know, my first trip here,
10: I was like, does Exeter count as New Hampshire? Ever, the Flintstones.
11: Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. The Flintstones, weeknights at 6 on MeTV New Hampshire. Channel
0: listings at MeTVNewHampshire.com. Our next candidate was the first Democrat to declare his candidacy this cycle. And right away, John Delaney started visiting the Granite State to speak with voters one-on-one. When he sat down with us for breakfast, the former U.S. rep from Maryland talked about making the campaign decision with his family and his desire to serve the public. John Delaney believes he's ready for the White House on day one. But as for his dog, well, he's
12: not so sure about her. And the only dog we have left is a um, Maltese. She's not really, like, the right dog to film your presidential (laughs) commercial. (laughs) And this, her name is Mimi. So the story of this Maltese is, and I love Mimi. Mimi's great. She's, She's like 14 or 15. But Mimi was given to one of my daughters by my mom, and she didn't tell us. She came down for her birthday, and she's like, and she gives my daughter Brooke a dog. And we had already, we had two dogs at the point, and I was like, mom, what, what's going on here? Like, there's certain things you got to clear with us.
0: The entrepreneur and former congressman says job number one is being a dad. And with a 15-year age range between his oldest and youngest
12: girls, he's put in the time. You know, my oldest daughter just got married Congratulations. yeah i'm very happy it was great it was a beautiful wedding and i love my son-in-law and uh but you realize i have four daughters you realize that um
6: <laughs>
12: <laughs> they start leaving the nest uh-huh. and that time with them becomes so precious i went trick-or-treating with grace this year she's 12 and april and i my wife april we were saying you know this may be mm, probably the last time mm-hmm. and i was like I've been going trick or treating for twenty six straight years,
6: because
12: <laughs> my oldest daughter's twenty seven, but she was her birthday's the end of October, so I don't think we took her trick or treating when she was five days old, yeah. but we definitely did the next year when she was one, carrying her around and some Aww. things, you know, and uh, so literally I've been trick or treating for twenty six straight years. So I was like, wow, the sun is setting on my trick or treating career.
6: <laughs> 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 and you dressed up, dressed up. <laughs> when you take, Did you dress up this year? I didn't dress up this year. As a presidential candidate, what would you wear?
12: But so that's the thing, you, you know, you got an image. You know, I might dress up as Adam Sexton, put on a, put on a toupee, carry around a camera and a mic, and make believe I'm interviewing the next president of the United States and I'd have like a dummy there, which would be me. <laughs> and I'd say, you, the question would come, God, you're such a good candidate, how do you do it? And the dummy would say, well, it just comes natural to me.
0: Delaney achieved success in business, but he also knows his way around the kitchen.
12: I know you happen to be a really great cook. Do you enjoy cooking gourmet or? I enjoy cooking Italian food, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and um, you know what I like about cooking is I like to eat. So we'll start with that. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of those things in life where you get immediate gratification.
6: Yeah,
12: so, so I like to cook Italian dishes. My, probably my favorite thing to cook is assobuco. Oh, yes. Ooh. Do you like assobuco? Yeah. Very much. I make a good assobuco, I think. It tends to be a little more red than brown sauce, which is another question with asabuco. Do you go a little more red or do you go a little yeah. more tomatoey? I mean, do you go a little more brown or do you go a little more tomatoey? I tend to go a little more tomatoey.
7: My spouse and I, she's from Brooklyn, New York, <clears throat> and I'm from New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and she calls what you put on spaghetti gravy, yeah. uh, and, oh, I, I, and I just yeah. want what. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Okay, good, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gravy
12: is what you put on mashed potatoes. That's exactly right. Wow. Gravy is what you put on turkey. turkey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sauce <laughs> is what you put on pasta. Okay, good. Right. All right, <laughs> good. You're, you're I'm less right. undecided now. And she says Brooklyn, and she <laughs> calls it gravy. Right? Really? Yeah. Is your wife Italian? Is your wife Italian? We, know. Know. we yeah.
7: call it we call it gravy. You know? yeah. Yeah. No. We grew up as gravy. Yeah. yeah. Most Italians would Philly calls but, it and gravy. And do you use a spoon or not use a spoon to twirl your spaghetti? Oh.
12: I, like no. <laughs> 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 I would say I use a spoon to twirl my linguine, oh my God. not my spaghetti. <laughs>
0: right right answer. Delaney grew up in a working class household in New Jersey with parents who had big plans for their son. I
12: was the first of my family to go to college. My dad was an electrician. My parents actually wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, and that's why I went to Columbia and I started thinking I was going to be a doctor because I was a good student. And back then, you know, if you come from that blue collar background, doctors were deeply admired as they should be in the community and that was considered kind of you know that that next phase of that immigrant family thing you know my my child's gonna be a doctor so I went to Columbia to be a doctor but I quickly realized that wasn't what I wanted to do uh, because I was working at at, uh, St. Luke's Hospital in the pediatric emergency room you know as a volunteer and then I was doing research at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center on monoclonal antibodies during my summer after freshman year And I was like, you know, I'm exposed to, like, the best of this world and I I don't really like it. The problem is I had to tell my parents I wasn't going to go to medical school because they were really into it and they had sacrificed a lot. Instead, he went to law school and then into business. So I was practicing law for one year and myself and two law school classmates, we wanted to kind of get into business, but none of us had any money, which was a huge problem. So there was a company for sale in the Washington Post for $15,000 and that's what interested us because we each could come up with $5,000. So we put in the $15,000 and we bought a company and it was in the home healthcare business. So it sent nurses into people's homes and it was located in Washington DC and it was by far the worst home healthcare company in Washington (laughs) DC. So we bought it and we ran it, we turned it around and grew it and sold it to a big home care company and made a little money. But what I realized when I was running that business is that I had a very hard time getting a bank loan. Because this was the early 90s, and no banks would lend to us. Because Secretary Clinton, in part, who I'm a huge fan of, was proposing to completely change the US healthcare system. And it created a real chill in the banking industry on lending to healthcare companies. And I said, that's crazy, these healthcare companies, if you understand them, are very good prospects. So then I started a company to lend money to healthcare companies, small to mid-sized healthcare companies. And I basically started a business and I raised money to do it to basically be a bank for them.
0: That business bank took off and made Delaney the youngest CEO of a company on the New York Stock Exchange. He transitioned to public service and three terms in Congress, and he now holds the distinction of being the longest-tenured presidential candidate in the race, having launched his campaign back in 2017. What do
8: you like most about campaigning?
12: This stuff. Okay. I'll tell you the worst part about campaigning is when you're sitting in kind of inside the beltway and talking to people who are kind of pundits and have a view about what the country's looking for. Because you sit there and you're like, you actually don't have any idea what the country's looking for because you, you don't actually go out and talk to people. But the best part is actually talking to people. When you go out and talk to people, you really realize what you can do to improve people's lives. And it's, uh, it's what I like. the there's no question is what i like best about doing this
0: we invited the major democratic party candidates actively campaigning in new hampshire to join us for our cafe series joe biden elizabeth warren and tom steyer were the only ones to turn that invitation down president trump's campaign did not respond to our request but one of his main challengers did and revealed how his unusual theater training prepared him for a life in politics also ahead why Andrew Yang's brief time in the legal field made him so sad.
1: Time now for a
13: MeTV Entertainment Quiz. What is the most memorable TV show on MeTV? Is it M.A.S.H., The Brady Bunch, Carol Burnett, Perry Mason, Gilligan's Island, The Andy Griffith Show? The answer is yes. They're all memorable entertainment.
3: Watch all these and more on MeTV.
11: MeTV New Hampshire is on Comcast Channel 945, Atlantic Broadband 299, and over the air on Digital Channel 9.2.
0: Welcome back to our Candidate Cafe special. I'm Adam Sexton. So far this hour, we've shared the personal history of several candidates in the New Hampshire primary. Up next, someone who has made a name for himself by focusing on the future. It's no surprise that when our undecided voters met Andrew Yang at the airport diner, the discussion quickly turned to technology. There's an almost futuristic feel around Andrew Yang. One of his first cafe questions was about bringing more technology into the race for the White House.
7: We're thinking about using uh, 3D holograms. Have you used that today to be in Portsmouth and here at
0: the same time <laughs> that you practice? The son of immigrants who achieved the American dream, Yang says his parents
10: are his heroes. My father grew up on a peanut farm in Asia with no floor. And when I visited his childhood home, I was like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Looking around this farming village, and I was like, how the heck did you go from here to? Um, So then my my father uh, uh, ended up getting his PhD in physics from Berkeley, where he met my mom. Um, So that's like an incredible ascent in one generation, because he went from the peanut farm to generating 65 US patents for GE and IBM. And I asked him when I was a teenager, one, when I was a teenager, I thought everyone's dad had a PhD, and I learned the hard way that was not true. I was like, like, what's your dad's PhD? And then someone like, like, oh, no.
0: Yang's parents worked hard to send him to one of the best schools in the country, Phillips Exeter Academy, right here in New Hampshire. He didn't exactly enjoy the experience and
10: admitted as much when he gave a speech to students there earlier this year and then the student body erupted into applause and i was like whoa that's not the reaction i was going for (laughs) Um, so i I spent a lot of time here in new hampshire i came of age here i went to college at brown which is not that far away i grew up in upstate new york so um, um i consider myself a new england product
0: for the younger yang one escape was music and attending concerts
10: how many of you saw the video of me crowd surfing um, that went out uh, a month oh, or yeah. so <laughs> ago? All right, so here's the thing. It was not my first time crowd surfing. Because oh. when I was a teenager, I'd go to these concerts, and then sometimes I would end up on top of the, the crown. Um, so I, I remember uh, I grabbed Morrissey's wrist at one concert. I don't know if you guys oh. know who Morrissey is. So that was a, a crowd surfing your hand experience. Or, like,
14: do you, know what you I washed
10: it later <laughs> that night. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, probably my favorite concert um, was uh, U2 in Saratoga Springs. Um, saw them yeah. during the, uh, it was the um, uh, Zoo Ropa tour, I believe. It's like in the 90s. Um, but I, I saw most of like the 90s canon in concert. So I saw, t- this was t- my canon, so you can judge, whatever, it's fine. Um, so it was like U2, uh, The Cure, Depeche Mode. Um, I went to the first three Lollapaloozas, so I oh, saw like all of that stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, so I, I went to concerts a lot. He was also a
0: speech and debate champion and competed overseas for the U.S. national team in Great Britain.
10: I was, but I was not paired up with another American. What happened was you got divided up, and so I believe it was me and a Canadian uh, debater against two British debaters, and then we were given a government policy proposal it might have been like the legalization of certain drugs or Mm. something along those lines Um, and then we had like a little bit of time to prepare and then um, there was like a sequence where it's like one person would be for it and then they'd be like the anti and then you'd rebut Uh, and I remember vividly one time where uh, where my my partner in debate was like just had it's like just sitting here with like a big smile on his face like this. <laughs> <laughs> and like and like no matter what happened, he had like that look on his face and then <laughs> 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 I was like And I and then and then there was a time when I had like a visible reaction to a point like our opponents made where I was like that nah, that's like not right or whatever and they like elbow me being like <laughs> 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 I just, so straight and smiling. I was like, wow, I guess that's the Canadian way. <laughs> After graduating from law school, Yang became an
0: attorney, but quickly soured on the profession.
10: Uh, there was also a sense that um, I was documenting other people's accomplishments or ideas. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, shouldn't I have my own accomplishments and ideas instead of documenting other people's accomplishments and ideas? Um, and at that point I was young. I didn't have tons of personal obligations. Right. Uh, and so I thought, well, if I don't take a risk now, am I more or less likely to take a risk later? Mm-hmm. It's like probably less likely because hopefully I'll like have a family and you know have responsibilities. So if right now I'm young and dumb and don't have responsibilities, like I should, probably take a risk now. <laughs> and uh, and and then my company flopped. Uh-huh. So I'm very glad that happened when I didn't have a whole right, lot of responsibilities, and it was just me being sad. Right.
0: Yang doesn't dwell, and neither did the voters at the diner, subjecting him to a lightning round of questions.
6: Decaf or regular?
0: Decaf. Uh,
8: Waffles or pancakes? Pancakes. Lobster in the rough
6: or a lobster roll?
10: Uh, roll. Because I'm lazy. Don't say that I'm Because I'm efficient. There you go. That's (laughs) better. How about
7: New England lake vacation or New England beach vacation?
10: Beach. Uh, Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. Oh, you know, that's going to be a tie now. Netflix has become really disappointing to me. You know what I mean? It used to go there and be like, there'd be something you'd be excited to watch. And now I'm like, what is this crap? (laughs) Yang refers to his wife as
0: a superhero. Together they have two sons. One lives with autism.
10: There are certain physical activities he he likes. Um, One of the things that was tough as a dad was that there was an extended period that when he ran, he would fall. And so like when he was running, you actually felt like anxiety the whole time. (laughs) Instead of being like, oh great. Like it's like running around happy outside. Instead it's like, oh no, it's like gotta keep him on like a softer surface because if he's running on blacktop and falls, then um, he ends up hurting himself. Um, but now he there are some physical activities that yeah, he likes to do so that we um, play catch and um, you know um, uh, he likes to swim um, so we take him swimming whenever we can. And he does ask me a lot of questions and you can tell he's processing the question, the answers to the question. The questions are all over the map. He's asked me questions out of uh, you know left field about what do he ask me the other day like, what's an ecosystem? And then I had to sit there and be like, an ecosystem <laughs> is
6: <laughs>
10: and then his follow-up question was can something be in an ecosystem that's not alive and then I said well if you're talking about a particular kind of ecosystem like a business ecosystem then yes um, yeah I my, my brother my my son's very spiky um, so like he has real um, yeah like you know, he's I, I have a feeling, and we saw this a little bit with that teen who's, um, you know, the climate change activist, but I, I feel like he just sees the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of the messages I have in the campaign is that uh, being atypical is the new normal.
0: Yang is known for not wearing a tie on the campaign trail, but while his look is relaxed, his hair actually
10: requires a lot of work. Like I have this very stubborn cowlick in the back that um, that I do a bad job taming. It was actually one of the banes of my existence in my teenage years because I always had this tuft of hair sticking out and I was very self conscious about it. So um, so now even now like I'll go out
6: <laughs> Sure um,
10: So I, I think one irritating thing about me for the campaign team is like they'll like sigh and then one of them has to like try and like like smush my hair down. All right.
0: We have some of our candidate cafe regulars with us here to talk about this experience and what they've been able to see in this format, sitting down for breakfast and lunch with some of these folks who want that highest office in the land. We have Lynn Healy, Rich Bruno, Carolyn Morrill and Leonard Morrill. Thank you so much for joining us in doing this. And let's start with you, Lynn. What is it about being able to sit down over a meal with these people that brings out something different?
13: I think it's the personalities that you learn about. I love um, knowing a little bit more about them as an individual and I have found that they can all laugh at themselves and they have wonderful stories to share. So you learn their life story rather than just their stump speech. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: a lot of fun moments. How about you, Rich? What What is it about this that that brings out something different?
7: Well, I think you see what's the core of the the candidate too, what makes them up you know some of the questions like their background and and you get you, you understand what inspires them as well uh, to to take on this challenge which is unbelievable and how they have to go through such sacrifice you know, it's, it's incredible personally so that's what you see is the personal side for sure
0: and Carolyn you've been here for just about all of these what is it about being close to these people in this setting that gives you something that you don't always see out on the campaign trail
6: um, I agree with them. The personality is just unbelievable just in the facial expressions that they show us. It's so—it's uh, such a privilege to be able to do this.
13: We have so much fun laughing with them. <laughs>
0: and Leonard, what do you see? What do you see when you're that close to
6: the candidate?
7: I find that um, you get a lot of insight into the people. Um, when they're out on the campaign trail, you hear what their plans are and all that. But here you get a chance to get the insight to understand whether they really have the ability to work with other people, and you get that from here, which you don't just getting sound bites and all that. So it's been great. Well, then, how about a moment?
0: What what stands out to you from this uh, the, many these many meals?
7: Um, a moment. I think probably
13: just hearing their stories, um, their backgrounds, and learning just a little bit more about where they came from, some of the things they had to do in order to be where they are now they're also extremely intelligent people which is lovely to know right we would like <laughs> we would like a president to be smart <laughs>
7: How about you rich is there a moment from a certain candidate that sticks with you Well I mean most recently you know uh, I saw Cory Booker and uh, I thought he was just, uh, just kind of self-deprecating and was able to make fun of himself and I think you need somebody that is uh, can take in the humor and give the humor as well. And he was humorous, and, and again, that's the, that's the personal side, plus the fact what he likes to eat, so. Yeah. <laughs> the food is always important. There any,
0: were there any food choices that you thought, okay, wait a second, I remember Bill Weld was trying to eat, you know. Yeah.
6: They don't get a chance to eat, they have to answer our questions. Um, I would like to
8: ask him about the White House. Hopefully we can get there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe lunch one day. How about you, uh, Leonard, was there a moment that stood out?
7: Uh, I think one of the biggest one of the most recent ones we had Deval Patrick, and he desperately tried to eat and he finally was able to get some bacon and <laughs> him and all that but it, and most of them sort of shy away from actually trying to eat on camera, which I don't have an issue with but <laughs> did anybody to the group here? did anybody surprise you? John Delaney, who I knew nothing about when he was here um, I thought again he, there was a man that was self-made man, uh, made a lot of sacrifices to get to where he was in life. And then he now he's taking on a huge challenge and he's got a family that's sacrificing for them. So I think that they are really legitimately concerned about the, the direction of the country.
0: We invited the major Democratic Party candidates actively campaigning in New Hampshire to join us for our CAFE series. Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren and Tom Steyer were the only ones to turn down that invitation. President Trump's campaign did not respond to our request. Those who did attend included one of the major Republican candidates taking on President Trump in the primary. Coming up, why former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld thinks his past experience as a federal prosecutor is helping him in this campaign. And Bernie Sanders says his brief foray into the world of music is something he'll never forget, although those listening may want to.
11: Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps
0: brings you back in the know. Just weeks before the first ballots are cast, the Democratic side of this primary is crowded. But President Trump also faces a challenger from within his own party. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld is a familiar face in New Hampshire ready to discuss time he spent on a farm and his career fighting some notorious mobsters. Long before he reached the pinnacle of Massachusetts politics, serving two terms as governor in the 1990s, Bill Weld grew up on a family farm. And the Oxford and Harvard-educated descendant of someone who signed the Declaration of Independence says he's occasionally faced a gentle skepticism regarding stories of his humble origins.
3: When I was in politics, I would meet people who said, you didn't grow up on a farm. And this mainly people from the Midwest. And I would say, yes, I did. And they said, yeah, prove it. I said, okay, well, I was in charge of uh, the chicken coop on our farm, and that meant going out and getting the warm eggs in in the morning, even if I had to get them out from under the hen. Uh, And they said, yeah. And I said, so I would go out barefoot. It wasn't all that far from the house, too much trouble to put on shoes that early in the morning. So I'd go out barefoot, yeah. (laughs) So uh, we had a lot of snow, and, uh, you know, the ground was frozen. It was very, very cold, and I went right through the barnyard over the chicken coop, Yeah, and I know how to keep your feet warm if you're going out on the icy snow in the winter in bare feet. Yeah, you step right in the middle of every cow pie you can find. Because in the middle, it's still warm.
0: An avid baseball fan in his youth, Weld is a New York native who started out following the Brooklyn Dodgers, which he says made it easy to relate to Red Sox fans.
3: If you're a Dodger fan, you hate the Yankees. So I hated the Yankees before I moved to Boston from from New York. I didn't have to pretend like Hillary Clinton when she went <laughs> to New York to run for the Senate and she put on this big Yankees hat, please. Um, but I, I'm a pretty pretty good sports nut, uh, like like a lot of, them. and and the quirkier the better. So the Sox going from you know a terrible season to the World Championship and then repeating and. And, uh, you know, when I was in office, I I spent a lot of time with, uh, uh, saw a lot of Mo Vaughn, Mike Milbury for the the, uh, uh, the Bruins. And actually, number four, uh, Bobby Orr, was the guy I probably knew best of all the professional sports people. I spent a fair amount of time in Canada, have for years and years, just on business. And I would see number four up there. But what a gent, what a prince uh, he is.
0: Weld picked up some stage skills of his own as a member of Hasty Pudding, a burlesque theater group at Harvard, and also performing at the All Boys Middlesex School.
3: So before my voice changed, I played Yum Yum, the female lead in the Mikado. And went. actually our first house party we had during this campaign in New Hampshire was given by uh, Fergus Cullen and his wife. And I walked in uh, and... uh, after about five minutes, it turned out that uh, she and I had both played Yum Yum. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said, can you still do the entrance, where the three of them come in and uh, they sing a song. Three little maids from school are we filled to the brim with girlish glee. Three little maids who all unwary come from the lady seminary, freed from its genius tutelary, da-da-da-da-da, three little maids from school and you have fans. Three little maids. From school, from school, and she and I didn't miss a beat, and we, without rehearsing at all, we did this little, you know, two step, and then both went three little maids Whoa! from school, and everyone said, "What's that? Were you throwing something?" Well, it says that theatrical
0: training came in handy in his later career.
3: So I say it's the best possible preparation for politics. I mean, how about getting up in? women's clothes and being on stage making a fool of yourself all night long well, what better preparation could there be?
0: From silly to serious Weld also recounted his time as U.S. Attorney prosecuting Boston's notorious Angelo crime family.
3: So they were on trial we wound up getting 45 to 60 years on all these guys who ran the rackets in Boston they'll all die in prison but while the case was ongoing uh, Good would see him in court, good morning, Mr. Weld, good morning, Mr. Anjulo. oh, Mr. Bayonne, so nice to see you as well. Uh, and one time, when we were doing the investigation, we had subpoenaed a whole bunch of documents which seemed to be just bookkeeping, clerical, bank records, but actually were essential to putting our case together. They were the glue. And we didn't want Jerry Anjulo and his lawyers to hear us coming on this thing. So we got the most junior person in the office and assigned him to be in charge of the grand jury that day. And Jerry Jerry O'Sullivan and I, he was the head of the strike force, I was the U.S. attorney, we went over the North End in Boston and ostentatiously walked into, making a lot of noise, walked into Francesca's Restaurant, which was owned by Jerry Angelo, as we well knew. Uh, And uh, Jerry was there. And he said, Mr. O'Sullivan, Mr. Weld, what are you doing here? Don't you have big, important business over at the courthouse today? (laughs) And O'Sullivan, who was the front guy, said, nah, nothing's going on over there, just technicalities and nothing. So I like to think they let their guard down a little bit, and (laughs) the papers all came in without objection. By the book in the courtroom, when Weld got into
0: politics, he found it helpful to showcase some of his more relatable interests, like his love of rock
3: and roll. Uh, And I had something of a reputation for being a Grateful Dead fan, which I cultivated as governor because, you know, the problem with me running in Massachusetts, which is a very ethnic state, is that here I am just... uh, You know, thin-blooded, limp-wristed, blue-blood Yankee (laughs) in in a very Irish-Italian state, 52% Catholic. So uh, anything that varied that image would be good for me politically. (laughs) (laughs) And I really did like uh, a couple of the Grateful Dead albums, uh, Working Man's Dead and American Beauty. And um, so that got out. and People thought that was kind of odd and they said the press would say well Mr. Weld how many how many Grateful Dead concerts uh, have you been to in your life and I said oh I'm sorry I I couldn't answer that so they thought it was like you know 110. (laughs) (laughs) The the correct answer which the press never learned was zero. (laughs) On
0: the family front Weld has five adult children three stepchildren and a growing number of grandchildren.
3: We have one problem in the family I have nine grandchildren eight of them are males. So we're we're lighting candles for girls. It, it, if anyone can give me any pointers on how to have granddaughters very much appreciate it. Asked if he has any big goals
0: left in life beyond winning the White House. Well, it says he's still trying to make a lasting impression
3: in the literary world. I've written three novels uh, and uh, I'd like to write a novel that would really endure, I guess that's it. And I probably will if I get the time for it.
0: Several of the candidates who attended our cafes are no longer running for president.
3: A great diner experience
0: is one thing that New Jersey and New Hampshire have in common, at least according to Garden State Senator Cory Booker. The Democrat grew up in Jersey, an All-American football star who went on to play at Stanford, but he says some of his most important education came while volunteering for the campus suicide hotline.
11: It humbles you, and and you also see the dignity of individuals who are really struggling. So th- this was a part that expanded my understanding of empathy so much. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't mean this word uh, to judge our nation. We are extraordinary, I love our country, but I often say if America hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her enough. Mm-hmm. And to see people getting caught in, in, in cracks in life where we should have a better society for looking after each other and we just don't. Um, it, it just made me more activist.
0: Booker says he launched his campaign in part because of former President Jimmy Carter, who told him he had to run from the heart. There were a lot of laughs during the conversation with Montana governor and former presidential candidate Steve Bullock. The Democrat talked about growing up in big sky country where there's no limit on big ideas. And he revealed that one of his favorite ways to stay connected with people is by visiting dive bars. But his personal dream for the future is one that might take some negotiating on the home front.
6: What's on your bucket list?
0: (laughs) Uh, On a
9: bucket list has been to, and I've done like, I don't know, dozen, 15 marathons. I've always wanted to try to do like, that Iron Man, even oh, though I can't, no. but I'm getting older, I'm recognizing. Uh, I would love to travel overseas with my family. Oh, I have this dream of when I'm all done. Um, I said to my wife, I wanna buy one of those big motor homes and just travel oh, yes. and my wife said, well, you will be traveling alone.
3: <laughs> because that doesn't sound fun
0: at all to me. She kicked off her campaign in a snowstorm and has slowly but surely been gathering momentum ever since. Straight ahead in our candidate cafe special, the role Wayne's World played in the life of Midwestern moderate Amy Klobuchar. And the newest candidate on the campaign trail isn't concerned about his late start. What brought Deval Patrick from Chicago's south side to Boston's Beacon Hill?
11: life's beautiful moments sunsets landscapes wildlife that's wmur's ulocal facebook group join this growing community and browse the stunning images captured by viewers like you or share your own get started at our facebook page facebook.com slash wmur9 go to groups and join ulocal
0: see you there Welcome back to our candidate cafe special. I'm Adam Sexton, a warm drink and a good meal, make it a little easier to let down your guard. Even for experienced politicians, we continue our look at the personal side of the candidates running for president who sat down with undecided voters at the airport diner. Those guests got Democrat Amy Klobuchar to open up about an embarrassing mix up during her first day in the U S Senate and the people who taught her to speak up for herself from a very young age. Back in elementary school, the young Amy Klobuchar had a teacher who opened up a world of possibility.
2: I had this teacher, Miss Kelly, in fourth grade who was so um, great about trying to make you be something bigger than yourself, basically. And we would give speeches and presentations and she would sit at the um, uh, other end of the class, I still remember, and yell, I can't hear you. (laughs) Like a lot of girls uh, back then, it wasn't, you never, you didn't think you were gonna be president, actually. I still remember in high school, you know, having, the goal was to have long hair or a haircut like Dorothy Hamill's, uh, to get really tan in the summer by uh, going on your roof Mm -hmm. in a box with foil, um, (laughs) which of course is really bad for you, so no one should do this. Yeah, and um, marrying your um, high school prom date, which, I didn't do, my prime day was gay actually, turned out to be gay. Klobuchar is
0: quick with a joke, but she's known as a get things done kind of senator. While she started in politics early in life, she realized the true impact of public policy when she became a mom.
2: What really made me see the value of public service and getting things done was when our daughter was born and she was really sick. And she could not um, swallow and it was a complete shock, we didn't know what was going to happen Um, She was born just a few weeks early, not, not early. And so they didn't know if she was gonna live. She was, they thought she had a tumor, they thought she had some kind of genetic disease. And so she was in intensive care. And I got kicked out of the hospital back then. They had those insurance rules in 24 hours. And so they kicked me out of the hospital And um, I said to my husband, I bet this wouldn't happen to the wife of the head of the insurance company. And I then joined, she was getting a little better, and I joined forces with some of the people in the legislature and I testified. um, And we passed one of the first bills in the country guaranteeing new moms and their babies a 48 hour hospital stay. Um, And I learned two things from that. Uh, One is that if you talk about really embarrassing things in front of legislative committees of men like episiotomies they're like okay i don't want to deal with it and the second was there was people while no one could say they were against the bill to guarantee a minimum of 48 hours um, they were trying to delay it and so i brought a bunch of pregnant friends to the conference committee so they outnumbered the lobbyists the legislators said when should this take effect and it's supposed to be August 1st, and they were trying to get it a year delay, the lobbyists. And my friends said, now, And that's what they did. They, they made it for when the governor signed the bill.
0: Klobuchar's daughter is now in her 20s, and she's a regular at her mom's side on the campaign trail, as is the senator's husband,
2: John. He's seven and a half years younger than me, actually. He doesn't look like it, but he is. <laughs> when we met, we went on our... Um, Honeymoon to visit my relatives in Switzerland, and I was 33, and he qualified for a youth year rail pass. <laughs>
6: How did you meet? Uh,
2: we met at a um, um, we met at a, <laughs> at a bar. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> It wasn't like that, it wasn't like that. No, it was, it was, uh, no, it was uh, the, uh, it was a bar that's no longer in Minneapolis and it was true friends and it was just, uh, there was a uh, political conference actually, Walter Mondale was hosting it and I was in this thing and we started talking and he was really interested in it. I had been in, I worked for Mondale at the time. And so then we met and that was fun and then we had some mutual friends. So they got us together at a uh, pool hall and so that's where that was her And then we went on our first date where we were going to double date with this friend of mine and I was supposed to invite someone for her and that guy had a girlfriend or something. So the three of us, oh, that's went, that's we went to Wayne's world. It was really stupid, which I, I, was, I mean, it was funny. <laughs> Speaking of funny, Klobuchar has been able to find quite a bit of humor in her time in Washington. It's my first day in the Senate. I. Um, went and got salad and soup, and I, I put it down. And I'm ready in this beautiful LBJ room, and I, got I'm ready to dive in. And the only one at the table it was all men. Was Patty Murray, the center from Washington State. She runs. Gr- jumps up, runs around, grabs my arm and says, Amy, uh, you took the entire bowl of Thousand Island dressing and you're about to eat it. <laughs> and I, I thought, from a northern climate, I thought it was wild rice soup. <laughs> it was, you know, vine-free. and so then I said, and then I said, that's what we do in Minnesota. We eat the Thousand Island dressing. There's a, a horrendous burdens and there's burdens on the citizens, and it's your job to make life better for them and to improve people's lives. But if you don't enjoy it, people know you don't enjoy it. If you don't enjoy being with people, then I don't think you should have the job because a lot of this is bringing people with you, and whether it is with stories or humor or getting to know them personally or empathy for their situation, even if they are on the other side of the aisle. I think that's really important for how you're gonna be able to govern.
0: She's also experienced her share of heartbreak. Her dad was a celebrated sports writer who covered the Minnesota Vikings, but had a drinking problem.
2: Is
8: there something in your life you can point to, a reason that made you wanna run for president?
2: Um, Yeah, when I um, look back at my life, um, I was not like anointed to run for office. My life wasn't always completely easy. My dad struggled with alcoholism my whole life growing up, and he had three DWIs by the time I got married, and that was when he was given a choice, jail or treatment, and he chose treatment, and it changed his life, but that really um, affected me. Um, In his words, he was pursued by grace, and it has really shaped a lot of the work that I've done, both as prosecutor and then as Um, in the Senate of making sure people get treatment and working on things like the opioid epidemic. And he is now um, 91 and he's in assisted living. He got late onset Alzheimer's so it really didn't affect most his life. Um, But even with that he has this amazing uh, set of jokes and humor that he recalls even though he may not remember who people are. So about a year ago he introduced me to a nurse at the place and said Um, This is my daughter. She holds an obscure job in the federal government. (laughs) So he has this bank of things that he uh, still remembers.
0: Klobuchar is an avid cyclist and also enjoys hiking. She hit the trails here in New Hampshire earlier this year.
2: And then we went hiking in that um, Pac Manandoc. Did I say it right? Okay. (laughs) okay and we did that which was uh, hilarious because um I had read in the guidebook and I and it's Easter it's Easter was a nice day that day Mm -hmm. and I said okay uh we're gonna go this harder route you know get exercise and everything and I get there and there's a ranger there in the afternoon and they say well you know um you the road you can't drive up the road and I think he meant you can walk up the road but he (laughs) says you can't walk up, you, can, you can't drive, but I go, oh, no, we're not using the road. So we go on this hike, and it's there's ice and snow oh, yes. still up there, and we're just scrambling to get, it's really, <laughs> really hard. And So anyway, we get to the top, and there's all these senior citizens who have walked up the road.
6: Hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello.
0: He joined the race later than his competitors, but former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick is used to doing things his own way. The Democrat says starting his political career as an outsider reinforced the lessons of his early life. Deval Patrick grew up on the south side of Chicago, a gifted kid with a unique first name.
5: My father was a jazz musician. They split when I was four. Um, But my father was a jazz musician, very uh, avant-garde, musician, very avant-garde life, I would say. Um, and, uh, my mother and father had a deal that she would get to name the first and he would get to name the second. My mother, uh, so my sister Rhonda, um, was named after an actress, Rhonda Fleming? Oh, yeah. Probably, yeah. uh, yeah, okay. And then my father wanted, uh, uh to name, uh, you know, I was the second, so, um, it was my father's turn. And he dreamt up this name. And my, my mother said, what are you talking about? And it was, it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I am I am paraphrasing the conversation, but I think it was in that nature of what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and uh, and he said, look, this was the deal. So here I am. And I usually get, right, is it Patrick Duvall or Duvall Patrick? there were hard lessons learned in those early years. As I said, I grew up in in Chicago, um, a lot of that time on on welfare, uh, with my grandparents and my my mother and sister after my parents split when I was four. And I, I went to, you know, big, broken, overcrowded urban schools, although I had fabulous teachers. I mean, teachers who were, amazing in the classroom, but important in my life. Um, my sixth grade teacher, she took us to a new movie that it was out at the time called The Sound of Music, <laughs> and she used it to teach us about the rise of the Nazis and the, and the Second World War. I, I, I describe her as the first person who ever uh, who helped me imagine what it might be like to be a citizen of the world, um, which is I think a gift for any kid, but especially us.
0: His promise as a student helped him land a spot at the prestigious
5: Milton Academy in Massachusetts. So I landed there um, the night before classes began. And um, they had a dress code in those days. The the boys wore jackets and ties to classes. So uh, uh, my grandparents, um, when the clothing list arrived at home, they splurged on a new jacket for me to wear to class. But a a jacket on the south side of Chicago is a windbreaker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I come by myself, never seen the campus before, the night before classes, and the next morning all these boys are putting on their blue blazers and their tweed coats, and I have my windbreaker and I think, oh boy, i got a lot to learn.
0: He was a quick study, rising from Milton all the way through Harvard Law School and to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund.
13: Being a lawyer, you've had a lot of fascinating cases. Mm. So which one is your favorite?
5: Wow. Mmm. There's more than one.
13: Well, tell us about it.
5: So the, I got to, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was head of the Civil Rights Division. Mm-hmm. This was in the Clinton administration. Right. I met President Clinton when I sued him when he was governor of Arkansas. Yeah,
6: and, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
5: so he was, they, the, um, the voting, um, the election commission in Arkansas is constitutionally chaired by the governor and the other constitutional officers, and then all the um, uh, county clerks were also parties to this case. And it w- this is when I was at the Legal Defense Fund in New York, and I was doing voting rights and death penalty defense. And uh, we sued him on a uh, on a case having to do with access to the ballot, just being able to register. And the county clerks in, in a lot of southern states are very, very powerful. They have a lot of control over, uh, over um, um, how you register, when you register, how simple or, or uh, complicated it is. <clears throat> and we, uh, we sued, and, uh, and he and I worked out the terms of the settlement together.
0: Patrick eventually became a governor himself, elected to lead the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in 2006.
6: What were the best and worst things about
13: being governor of Massachusetts?
5: Mm. Well, I'll talk about the best, and then for the worst, we can shut off the cameras. <laughs> um, so I hadn't run for anything before. Um, and uh, you, you, you may know, you know, our dynamic um, in Massachusetts is less Democrat-Republican than it is insider-outsider. It's a, it's a very closed, uh, inward-looking political establishment, and, um, and I wasn't a part of it. But I think in some ways the thing I'm proudest of is that we, we, we remembered we had it within us to do big things and to do them together. Uh, and uh, not not all of it about legislation, it's just about collaboration. Um, and I feel great about that. I think the worst day was the, um, the worst day you know about was probably the, the day the bombs went off at the Marathon. Um, but in some ways, that week was um, Incredibly powerful for us because we uh, you know that's a that's the kind of occasion where you know all the things that could go wrong um, all, all the all the things that um, all the ingredients for things going wrong fear and uncertainty and anger um, all, all the things where you could it could go sideways easily um, didn't because we asked that we turn to each other rather than on each other. And, and, it, and folks just brought their best. You know, the, the, the first responders, the law enforcement, regular citizens, the way they, the kindness they showed to runners and, and visitors. And I think all of that contributed to finding these two terrorist needles in a haystack in, you know, 100 plus hours.
0: Patrick has a soft spot for stories of people finding unity through adversity. At the cafe table, he recounted the Holocaust survival story of Steve Ross a Boston man who in the spring of 1945 was a teenager, starving and near death after being liberated from a concentration camp.
5: And he said there was a man on a tank, uh, an American GI on a tank who saw him wandering, who was having his rations. And he, and this young man who probably was, you know, 19 years old, Mm -hmm. who uh, jumped down um, and handed the boy his, um, his rations and, uh, and he talked about how he fell down on his knees and started kissing the, um, the G.I.'s boots because it was the first act of grace he'd been shown in a, in a long time. And he said that the G.I. picked him up and, and, uh, and comforted him and gave him a hug and gave him this tiny American flag and um, which when i met him in his 80s he was still caring and i i, I think i'm i'm special I'm, I'm sensitive to it because i know how many acts of grace made it possible for me to come from the south side of chicago to uh, uh the experiences I've, I've i think the american dream is it, it's dependent on a lot of things including grace
0: we have many candidates ahead. Plus, first-in-the-nation voters enjoy unusual access to presidential candidates because of events like our candidate cafes. Granite Staters tell us how the up-close approach affects their choices on the ballot. Ever, the
6: Flintstones. Flintstones, meet
0: the Flintstones.
6: They're the of family.
11: The Flintstones, weeknights at 6 on
0: MeTV New Hampshire. Channel listings at MeTVNewHampshire.com. Candidates at our cafes had to withstand a lot of questions and advice from first-in-the-nation voters. We asked those guests why, when a president's job has so much to do with policy, they consider these personal conversations so important. All right, we're here with our candidate cafe panel to talk a little bit about how this process has unfolded and being able to see all of the candidates in this unique format. Uh, Gary, let's start with you. What sort of
3: moments jumped out? Um, well, with Cory Booker, I mean, he, he, when he talked about uh, the Pettus Bridge thing with uh, the story with John Lewis, that was amazing. And it's I mean, really he was so, so emotional. Story. He actually had a tear it's coming out of his eye. Um, that was pretty amazing. Uh, you know, sometimes with this forum, uh, with this breakfast forum, you get to actually see people you know, with a non-prepared... Uh, dialogue. It's it's very good.
0: Nancy, how about you? What what stood out from all of these candidates you saw here at lunch and
6: breakfast? What stood out was that how much I liked them all as people. Um, you know, they had some really good answers. We got sung to by Bill Welds. We got uh, sung to by Cory Booker. Um, get to see them in a totally different light than you see them on the campaign trail.
0: Karen, how about a moment for you?
8: Um, I would. I would echo that. I think that it is extremely important to see these people as people, not as politicians or candidates or anything, but but as real genuine people. And um, I, I love the intimate moments, the stories they had to share
14: with us.
0: How about, Lauren, how about you? Seeing all of these different candidates, who stood out?
14: It's, uh, Bernie Sanders was certainly an interesting one to hear from, particularly because we saw him the week before he went into the hospital and uh, had the opportunity to interact with him and kind of see all of his passion and energy, and then to see a couple days later that uh, he had gone into the hospital for medical issues. But overall, what you really see from these candidates in a forum like this is something that is um, a bit more personal and far less policy-driven, and it's it really, to, to the points that they made, it's fun to see these people as actual humans. Yeah, yeah. Gary,
0: uh, back to you on this one. What What is it about this, sitting down at a table with somebody? I mean, you might get one impression on TV, and it's almost like it's yeah. totally different sometimes in this format. Well, this is so unprepared.
3: I mean, I thought even with uh, Duval Patrick, uh, when he talked about growing up and the incidents that changed his life and caused him to, you know, to really be a success and and grow and then be this politician who was doing great things in massachusetts that's really interesting and you don't get that on the campaign
0: trail stuff and nancy did anyone surprise you at all someone who thought you know gosh seeing one thing on tv and then another thing in person
6: Mm, not really i guess they all did because you're so used to their their rehearsed campaign speeches and then you get those intimate moments where you hear stories or even funny stories like deval patrick when he was talking about bring his daughter to a 50 Cent concert, and he got backstage and she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was a unique moment for sure. And yes. hey, Karen, what about you? What, did anyone surprise you?
8: Um, I think that, I think Andrew Yang is probably one of the biggest surprises because I don't think the debate does him justice. And to meet him in person and to talk with him in person is just su- such a totally different expression. But, Totally different person. I felt that about a number of the candidates. But one thing I would say, Cory Booker has always been a person to me. He's never been a political candidate. He's always been genuine and himself. That was very interesting.
0: One thing that's interesting too is seeing these candidates, sometimes they order a lot of food, right? And they, they don't realize that they're going to be, it's like the fork gets this exactly. high and then they're like having to put it down. Lauren, how about you? Did any of that humanity come out for somebody that you didn't expect to see?
14: It was interesting with uh, with Pete Buttigieg, uh, hearing him talk about driving with his dad and a Chevy Cavalier listening to CCR in the morning on the way to school, like things like that are fun and I wouldn't have expected that uh, that a guy from Indiana running for president would harken so back to listening to CCR with his dad as moments that he remembers from way back when.
0: We invited the major Democratic Party candidates actively campaigning in New Hampshire to join us for our cafe series. Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren and Tom Steyer were the only ones to turn down that invitation. President Trump's campaign did not respond to our request. Many other candidates did join us and we have more of them coming up. But first, the ones who keep everyone happy. What our waitresses think of these unusual meals.
13: Time now for a MeTV Entertainment Quiz. What is the most memorable TV show on MeTV? Is it M.A.S.H., The Brady Bunch, Carol Burnett, Perry Mason, Gilligan's Island, The Andy Griffith Show? The answer is yes, they're all memorable entertainment.
3: Watch all
11: these and more on MeTV. MeTV New Hampshire is on Comcast Channel 945, Atlantic Broadband 299, and over the air on Digital Channel 9.2.
0: One woman making waves in this presidential race heads outside when she needs to find balance. Whether she's on a surfboard or on a snowboard, Hawaii Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard says her love of the outdoors started early. Growing up in Hawaii as a self-described tomboy, Tulsi Gabbard says the ocean was like a giant playground and she developed a lifelong love of surfing.
13: Gosh, I was probably about 16 or 17. Grew up, you know, the first time I learned how to swim, it was in the ocean. Uh, Grew up bodyboarding first. Um, and then uh, some of my friends who I was bodyboarding with, they started moving over to surfing. I said, I gotta try. So I, I got a free board from a friend of mine that uh, was the worst possible board you could learn how to <laughs> surf with. It, it, they call it a gun. It's, it's, uh, it was, I think, a seven-foot-long board, but it was very narrow, and they use it for big wave surfing, like 20, 25-foot oh, oh, waves. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, not for a beginner who's trying to learn. <laughs> it's very hard to get up and balance on. But uh, after I crashed and burned many, many, many times, eventually I started to get the hang of it, uh, and then it got a better board.
8: <laughs> uh, the name Tulsi, I just love the name. Is there a story behind it?
13: Um, it is. Yeah, it is a. Um, it's a sacred flower from India. Oh. Uh, My mom is practicing Hindu, and my dad's Catholic. And uh, so all five of us kids in our family, we were all given uh, Hindu names by our parents. Um, So you you might see in the grocery store, in in the tea section, sometimes they have Tulsi tea. Mm -hmm. And so it's also a very medicinal uh, flower that's used for, you know, stress relief and relaxation and stuff like that. People, some of my friends, uh, who have never had tulsi tea, when I you know, started running for president, they're like, oh my gosh, they're naming T after you already. No, it's It's the other way around. One of her first passions
0: was environmental activism. She created a superhero character to raise awareness
13: among Hawaiian youth. Wrote a a fun little skit called The Adventures of Water Woman and um, naturally made myself the star. (laughs) I played Water Woman in this skit, and uh, her nemesis was Oily Al, and uh, it was a day in the life of Oily Al. And so we were we were uh, presenting to you know first, second, third, and fourth graders primarily, and every time Oily Al was about to do something like you know he's changing the oil in his car and about to dump the oil, the dirty oil down the storm drain. Waterwoman would swoop in just in the nick of time and stop him and tell him, here's why that's such a bad idea. And going through a few different things, you know, he's eating his snacks and chips and soda. He's about to throw it out the car window. Waterwoman comes in and says, hey, you know, let me tell you where this ends up. So it was just it was such a cool experience to um, be able to see these kids and, and the light bulb kind of go off in their eyes.
0: Gabbard got an early start in politics but says she was transformed after joining the Hawaiian National Guard and serving in Iraq.
13: From the time that, that I enlisted in the, uh, the Army National Guard and going off to basic training in South Carolina um, to my two deployments to the Middle East, it, it completely changed my life. I came back from that deployment to Iraq uh, where I served in a medical unit, um, yeah, different person. Uh, when I came back, a lot of my colleagues in the state house then said, okay, great, you're home, you can come back, run for your old seat, get back to life as you had left it. And I just there, I just couldn't do that. I um, had been exposed to not only a world much broader and bigger than Hawaii, but um, having seen firsthand the cost of war, having seen in many ways a lot of the corruption and waste in taxpayer dollars that comes that we've seen come with uh, these, these wasteful wars, and coming back wanting to be in a position where I could actually make a difference, that I could help uh, influence the decisions that are being made about when and where uh, we, as service members, are sent into harm's way.
1: Kelsey, on deployment, how did you stay grounded without the ocean?
13: Oh, gosh. Um, friends. We, you we, we know, our, our unit was uh, a Hawaii National Guard unit and not all but most of us were from Hawaii but the ones who were not from Hawaii were from Samoa and Guam and Saipan so really across the Pacific and uh, you know we brought both our culture and and just our home with us Uh, a big part of that was food Uh, you know the food in the chow halls are
6: eh, you know
13: (laughs) not not always the first choice so uh, folks from home they would send us you know rice cookers and someone acquired a little barbecue pit and uh, just after work sometimes you just get together and and hang out and you know talk about home and and friends and what's going on at home and that made that made a big difference.
0: That tight-knit culture is something Gabbard also brings to the campaign trail. Her sister is her closest advisor and her husband is the man behind the camera.
13: If you come to any of our events or if you see any of the videos that we're posting on social media odds are he's the one who filmed them and then he you know parks in the hotel room and starts editing the videos at the end of the day and uh, I've got my sister also my younger sister who's traveling with us yeah she's thankfully um, she's a deputy US Marshal and so Hello. she put aside I know right <laughs> it works on many levels <laughs> she's kind of a, a full package
6: <laughs>
13: but uh, I just I'm so grateful to her because she's put aside her own uh, career and life for the time being to come and and help, uh, help me and, and our campaign full-time. Is, so she's here? He Is she she's here? She's here. She's right there. Hi. Hi. Say hi. <laughs> Little sister.
6: <laughs>
13: we, we fought like crazy when we were kids. But uh, who sisters, you guys have sisters? You know how precious sisters are. And, and we've been best friends and inseparable for so long.
6: Do you have any pets?
13: I don't. I don't. Did My sister did? and her husband have a dog in our house. We live together in D.C. Um, but I'm just, we're on the road so much. That uh, you know, if I can if I can water a plant in our house and keep it alive, <laughs> then then I'm I'm happy. But I don't want to be responsible for
6: not right now. Yeah, be, no, we've talked, it we've talked about
13: a little bit. We've talked about a little bit. I, I think I think uh, this is not a settled decision but uh, my husband and I have talked and and we both like golden retrievers.
0: That debate settled, but there are others she won't touch.
13: So which is more beautiful, Hawaii or New Hampshire? (laughs) (laughs) That's a terrible question. (laughs) Both. I choose both completely. You can't compare. I mean, look, we've got, I mean, we've got some of the most beautiful oceans in the world, uh, beautiful towering mountain ranges, you know, amazing hikes and waterfalls. Uh, and you've got a lot of beauty here that uh, we don't have there as well. I love, if I'm in the snow, I love snowboarding, something we can't do in Hawaii. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully catching a little snowboarding time this winter here.
6: Oh, nice. Can you
13: yeah. I can ice skate. <laughs> I can ice skate. We have one ice skating rink in Hawaii, so. Inside. It is indoors, <laughs> yes. Yes, that would be hard to sustain otherwise. <laughs> Some candidates who joined our
0: cafes are no longer in the race, including retired Admiral Joe Sestak. The Democrats' military experience undoubtedly shaped his worldview, but a much more personal battle gave him a new perspective on people, his daughter's fight with brain cancer.
7: We were there in Children's Hospital after the military hospital couldn't get the brain cancer and told us she only had about 90, maybe a few more days, weeks after that. We were able to take her to Mass General Children's Hospital and save her. There's three things at work. One is the prayers, the wonderful medical care we got, and then this bracelet right here she gave me the night before her first brain operation. It's fallen apart a couple of times, so only about three-quarters of the pieces are the original one with her name on it, you know, four years old. So I-
0: Sestak's daughter won that battle and then beat a second round of cancer last year. He launched his campaign after she received a clean bill of health. It was also a very personal conversation with Republican Mark Sanford, who wanted his short-lived campaign to show that not everyone on the right is satisfied with the status quo. The former South Carolina governor says his foundation was set early in life on the family farm, and he has always found solace in nature, especially after an affair that ended his marriage and temporarily
3: sunk his political career. In the aftermath of me blowing myself up, uh, I finished out my term, which is a year and a half uh, left in the governorship. But then after that, I had an awfully quiet time in the wilderness, going back to the cabin in the woods. It was the cabin at our farm, and. Uh, And we did some things, my sons and I, just after a lot of destruction, uh, the beginning of the process of rebuilding, we built a bridge together, we built a little cabin in the woods together, I mean physically built it, and it was important just in terms of our own healing process to do that.
0: When it comes to getting thrown around by the world, there's nothing quite like a presidential campaign. Known to many people for her relationship with Oprah Winfrey, spiritual author Mary Ann Williamson occupied a unique space in this race, but she took issue with the constant punchlines about her unorthodox approach.
8: Would you like to host Saturday Night Live? Sure, call him up. Tell them. <laughs> oh my God, here's my phone. You know, but I've I've never had a crystal in my work, in my book, so, crystal woo-woo lady. Why not? Why, I mean, why Why not have
6: crystals
8: involved? Oh, I think, listen, I think it's, it, I, I love crystals as much as anyone else, it's lovely, right. but that's just not, um, this whole characterization of me as woo-woo crystal lady, it's yeah. simply not, not who I am.
0: When we come back, the lifelong progressive who won New Hampshire's 2016 Democratic primary find out in which aspect of his personal life, Bernie Sanders says he's actually pretty
12: conservative. This is so great. I mean, look how terrific this is. Yeah, this is out this is of central casting. <laughs> And Adam looks like a lead in a, in a movie, doesn't he? Yeah.
14: You know, um, yeah, I haven't cut my
12: hair to one. Yeah.
6: <laughs>
12: if I had his hair, I'd be president already. I would like him to make me a commitment that if I become president of the United States, he will shave his head <laughs> in, ex- in
11: exchange for one of the first interviews with Kim Rosario in the White House. Done? <laughs> wow. That's on camera, too. <laughs> hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR. But it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first.
0: That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know. It takes a lot of people to pull off these small gatherings. From staffers who keep candidate schedules, to our production crew, to the diner staff who keep the coffee cups full without interrupting the flow of the conversation. We asked our first-rate waitresses what this experience is like from their perspective.
8: For me, um, I learn a little bit more about them. Each, I mean, there's so many of them, I feel. I feel like there's so many of them, right? There was a ton, so, yes. So I feel like when they come in here and they're doing their little talks and stuff like that, I feel like I, I learn like, a little bit more about them. Like, I didn't know too much about like Stein and Tussie and Bernie. Well, I, I, I knew about Bernie from last time, but um, Yang. I was very interested in him, so. yeah, I think Mine I'd would be Cory Booker. I didn't know he was dating... Rosario Dawson <laughs> had no idea that was your picture. That's, that's the one that stands out the most. I think there's just a whole different persona about them. they like just seem so like prestigious and important and very. I don't know. I just feel a little bit more intimidated waiting on them, don't you? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What about the people who are at the cafes? Are they some are like repeats from four years ago? Yes. <laughs> a lot of them, I feel like, were. Yes, yeah. they definitely, yeah. I mean, I, some of them, we can put their order in. We don't even have to ask them what they want. Yep. They literally <laughs> the same thing. eat and drink the same thing every single time they come. And they some of them sit in the same seats. Yep. So yeah, it's yep. pretty easy. You know who I thought was the super, like the nicest one? Super, super nice was um, Governor, was it Duval? is it Duval? Duval? Yeah, I thought he was the nicest one. Super friendly, super nice. Like said hello to like all the workers and everyone out here and just super, super personable. I just thought, I, he, st- he stood out for me. A lot of them didn't eat. It was yeah. just coffee and so water. So weird. And if they did eat, or they did order, they didn't touch their food. They like yeah. literally, it was sat there untouched, un, like not even a bite taken. There was one, I think it was I think it was Yang. Yeah. He literally like ate a cold afterwards. He was starving, he like ate a few bites. But other than that, coffee ordered, and water. yeah, coffee and water, they really didn't eat. When those orders come in, in the kitchen, is there any sense of urgency oh yeah like we it was a very timely manner it's like alright they're in there because everything's like timely like timed out for you guys so like we got to get them all in there we got to get them eaten before the candidate shows up we try to have all the plates like in front of them before they even show up sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't so we're stressed a little bit until all the food is in there yeah 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 I would say so
6: it yeah it was fun yeah, it was really
8: fun, yeah, it was it was fun. fun. Yeah. yeah
0: we invited the major Democratic Party candidates actively campaigning in New Hampshire to join us for our cafe series Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Tom Steyer were the only ones to turn that invitation down. President Trump's campaign did not respond to our request. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is a familiar face in New Hampshire. A frequent visitor to the Granite State, he won the Democratic primary in 2016. But the veteran progressive is still full of surprises, including a musical career that ended very quickly.
13: Do you play an
1: instrument? Oh God.
0: Bernie Sanders is not known for his musical talent, but that didn't stop him from recording a folk album in the 1980s, something he says haunts him to this day.
1: When I was mayor, somebody said, you know, we should record an album, Bernie. It was a really good band in Burlington at the time. So we went to this recording studio and I recorded what will go down in history as the worst tape ever recorded by any being. <laughs> I have a unique distinction. It's not the second worst. This is the worst tape ever done. And it's selling to my embarrassment. They still sell it. Every now and then somebody will show me the tape and I gotta sign it, Uh, but it is embarrassingly bad. The musicians were good, but I was not.
0: Sanders joined us for this cafe brunch less than 48 hours before he suffered a heart attack that kept him off the campaign trail for a few days.
6: One of my friends was in the Milford parade with you at Labor Day and he marched not too far behind you and afterwards he came back and he said he was so amazed by what physical shape you're in that you reminded me of an athlete. So I'm wondering how do you stay in really great shape? Is it exercise, diet, and especially with the, you know, the campaigning and the schedule you're on, how do you, how do you maintain your shape?
1: Well, uh, I wish I could tell you that i get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and run 14 miles and then lift weights and my vegan diet is just terrific and all that stuff. Not true. Uh, um, I would say that I'm kind of blessed. Um, When I was a kid, I was a long distance runner. I was a pretty good long distance runner. I was a good athlete as a kid. And uh, my brother discovered, I don't know if he made money off of me or not, but he would say, okay, Bernie, we'll race you around the block. Uh, And I would usually win. I had very good endurance. So I've been very blessed. You know, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow for anybody, but I've been very blessed with good health.
0: The Vermont senator has championed progressive causes for decades, but he's not a liberal in all things.
1: I'm kind of conservative in in my food. I like chicken and rice, Um, you know, I like a good steak grilled occasionally. I am impressed that I go to get dragged to a vegetarian restaurant. The food is really tasty as well.
8: Is there a food that your grandparents or your parents made?
1: I could eat matzahs to the matzahs and butter till the cows come home. With or without salt? Without salt, but it just, uh, I love that stuff, my God.
0: Sanders was raised in the Jewish faith and spent time as a young man living in Israel.
13: What are your fondest memories of your kibbutz experience?
1: I was very impressed. Uh, everybody know what a kibbutz is. It is, it was developed, I think, in the ni- I, I may be wrong on this. The early 1900s, mm-hmm. uh, when Jews fled anti-Semitism in Europe, and many of them were socialists, <clears throat> and they established places where everything was commonly owned, and that's what I experienced. Where women, way back when, had rights that were 60 years ahead of where we were in the United States. So they did their best to end kind of sexism, not perfectly, but they did. Um, And, you know, I worked there for a while uh, cutting um, um, grapefruit sheets, cutting grapefruits from grapefruit uh, trees. And those grapefruits were really good, they were very good.
0: It was a formative experience for Sanders, who spent a life in public service and became a national figure in 2016 when he won the New Hampshire Democratic presidential primary in a landslide, and feeling the burn became a political phenomenon.
1: You know, I'll tell you what happens in campaigns, at least in my campaigns, is things happen spontaneously at the grassroots, and you know, people give you credit or the campaign credit having developed this idea. That was brilliant. What a great idea you developed. We didn't develop it. Mm-hmm. Feel the Burn, I have no idea. I think somebody told me where it came from. It did not come from me, and it did not come from my staff. Do you like it? Yeah, I think so. It's it's amazing. Every place I go, people, if, whatever reason, it resonates. So, it resonates, people like it. You know, I remember once, similarly, I think it was in Tennessee. I read in the paper that there was this great event in Tennessee done by a you know, Bernie supporters, and I said to my staff, great job, my God, that was great. Nothing to do with it, we read about it in the paper. Other people did it. You know, and that's kind of, when you got a million volunteers, people, and I love that, I love people doing things spontaneously, uh, 99% of the time it's good, sometimes it's not, but that's what a campaign is about.
0: Sanders admits his people-centric view of politics wasn't always front and center. We asked him what lessons the Bernie of today who tried to teach his 20-something self.
1: As my wife reminds me, I was very arrogant. (laughs) And I was once on a television show before we met, and she said, I saw you were so arrogant, I would never in a million years have gone out with you uh, until I got to know you. So maybe arrogance and being a little bit of a know-it-all. And Vermont is a culture which teaches you that you don't know it all, and that there are a lot of folks may not have PhDs and this and that, who have a lot of common sense. And that's something that I learned after 50 years in Vermont. Can you tell us about your children and your grandchildren? Yes. Um, I am very blessed. As my wife and I were just talking about yesterday. Um, is uh, We have four kids, and thank God they're all doing well. We have seven grandchildren. Three of them, by the way, living here in New Hampshire. Four in Burlington. Uh, And just the other night, three of them slept over the house
6: Uh,
1: and uh, I think my wife would do that every night if she could. So they are the joys of our lives, they're beautiful kids. What they say about grandchildren is if you knew how much fun they would be, you would have them first. I agree with that. I agree.
0: agree. The senator is never afraid to mix it up in political debate, but there's one age-old New England dispute. He won't touch.
6: Of a Vermont maple syrup? Oh, no. Or
1: oh, there North is or maple maple no war. <laughs> no. yeah. Let's end that sentence.
6: There is no. and,
1: and I'll tell you something. I shouldn't tell this. But you know, in my youth I used to slug this stuff. You asked me if I drink no, I don't drink alcohol. I did drink maple syrup. We have people very kindly would give me, you know, bottles of maple syrup. <laughs> Kinda of woke you up, you know.
0: Voters did ask Bernie if he enjoys any Vermont craft beer, but the senator says he likes to keep his wits about him and rarely imbibes. I I
1: think the reason for that is actually my tolerance for alcohol is amazingly low. So in my line of work, (laughs) you know, I say enough dumb things being sober. I don't need to be (laughs) alcohol-induced to say even dumber things. So I'm not much of a drinker.
0: Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.